If you'll take your Bible this morning and turn with me to the book of John chapter 4 in the New Testament, John chapter number 4. And if you find your place there, I would like to invite you also to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. I'd like to thank all the folks, the team that was in charge of the ladies' conference yesterday, uh, all of you ladies who worked so very diligently to have a successful ladies' meeting, and then the men's staff who served and waited on the ladies as if they were queens, as they really are, and uh, it was just a good day. But those kind of days don't just happen. They have to be made to happen, and this church is good at that, and I appreciate all of you who worked so hard to, to make it come to pass. Just like those two young ladies who played that piano a while ago, don't you wish they could have just sat down and that happened? They worked and practiced and diligently. And I'd like to thank folks who think the work of the Lord is worth their efforts, their practice, their, their work at efforts. And uh, you just, you, you got to work at it. Girls, you did a great job on that. Uh, great job, great job. I thought that Mrs. Brown was going to jump in there a while and we'd have a trio on that piano, right? Uh, well, this month is missions month. I hope it hadn't slipped up on you. We'll have missionaries showing their presentations this evening. We have missionaries in uh, other, other ministries down at the Spanish church. We have missionaries in the children's church. And we hope that you'll be here this evening for their presentation to show you uh, the fields that they're going to and what have you. Today I'd like to talk to you out of the book of, of John and out of the book of Matthew for just a moment. And uh, let me read for you out of Matthew chapter uh, 9. And I'll begin reading in verse 35. And uh, we'll be done here before... Uh, uh, supper this evening so uh, we don't have to worry too much about uh, the cowboys playing and uh, evidently the Mavericks either And uh, but I don't know I don't watch any of that stuff uh, there are only one TV program channel that I watch I think it's called uh, what's that deal? You know? Remote. That's the, that's the channel I watch on television. The remote. Huh? If I don't like what's on, I remote it to the next one, right? Hmm? The Bible says in verse 35 of Matthew chapter number 9, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Let that sink down just a little bit. And Jesus went about all the cities 
the metroplex areas, and the villages out in the countryside, the remote areas, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted or were harassed beyond measure and were scattered abroad are hurled, thrown, pitched, and tossed as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into the harvest. Now John chapter number 4, please. The story is very familiar to all of us about the lady at the well. And the Bible says, verse 35, Say not ye that there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto eternal life, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. I'd like to ask you a question today, please. I want you to think about it very seriously. What about the harvest? What are you going to do in regards to the harvest. Jesus said it's plenteous. Jesus said it's wide already. What about the harvest? Are we going to meet and sharpen our plows? Oil and grease our tractors, pull them back in the barn till next Sunday. Then go to the barns next Sunday and pull our tractors out again and grease them and make sure the oil is changed and wash our tractors, sharpen our plows, and pull our machinery back in the barn until next Wednesday. Then about 7 o'clock next Wednesday, we'll go to our barns and we'll back our tractors out. And we'll wash our tractors 
We'll sharpen our plows. We'll make sure our combines are ready. And about nine, we'll pull them back into the barn and wait till next Sunday. And next Sunday, we'll meet again just to sharpen our plows and grease our combines, oil our tractors, and pull them back into the barns again. What about the harvest? Let's pray. I think maybe I've already got some folks upset. Our Father, today we sure thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. and We thank you that he thought the harvest was of utmost importance. And Lord, I can remember those days when I was part of the harvest and not one of the harvesters. I can remember the lostness. I can remember the loneliness. I can remember the temporary fulfillment of all the world offered. And then I remembered the day that a laborer came into the harvest fields of this old world and sat down in my living room and took the plow of the Word of God and plowed deep into my heart and my soul. And that night, I became a harvester and not part of the harvest. Dear God, help us ever to be grateful. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. About June of this year and last year and every other year, the huge combines began to make an impression across America. Large they are, huge tractors across Kansas, Oklahoma, North Texas. Can you see them in a line as they cross the fields and as they harvest the miles and miles of grain sown earlier in the year? All is done throughout the entire year, building up to the time of harvest. The ground is plowed. Not just so it can be plowed, it's plowed for a certain time, harvest time. The fertilizer is laid out and turned under, and then they yards large grain drills across miles and miles of country, sowing hundreds and thousands of pounds and bushels of seed all for one particular time of the year. The weed killers thrown to keep the weeds out, and the farmer sits by and watch as it grows, waiting patiently and tentatively for one time a year. The grain begins to grow when the farmers even walks into the field to check the grain to see when it is about ripe and ready to be harvested. 
Oh, much attention is to the weather. Every time it gets cloudy, the farmer's very anxious that there's no hail in those clouds because one hailstorm ruins the harvest. Prayer is made that there's not too much rain because too much rain will not enable the combines to get into the fields to harvest the grain that they've spent money and time and prayer over. Everything is done. Everything is presented and everything is, is, is very meticulously done just for one time of the year. It may be one day. It may be one week. But everything is done for harvest. I remember the Bible says, but God loved us so much that he sent his son that he might die on Calvary's tree. Why did he do that? For the harvest. For the harvest. Could I explain to you, in biblical days, they did not have huge tractors and combines to gather the harvest. It was hard work, tedious work, long work, back-breaking work. But as many harvesters that could come in, they knew the urgency of the hour. It meant hard, back-breaking work. But now notice, if you would please, in your Bible, Matthew chapter 9 and verse number 36. And the comparison is made. Notice, we do not want you to miss anything. Verse 36, a comparison is made. But when Jesus saw the multitudes, that's not wheat seed, that's not corn stalks, multitudes, people. Men, women, boys, girls, black, yellow, white, rich, poor. When he saw the multitudes, the Bible says that he was moved with compassion. And then in verse 37, he saith unto his disciples, the harvest truly it's plenteous. The harvest here is not the wheat, the grain, the corn that is in the field. The harvest is men and women, boys and girls, lost humanity that without Jesus Christ will die and spend eternity in hell. What about the harvest? You know, those folks next door. The one who walks his dog in your yard. I don't know why they walk their dogs in your yard, but I've found evidence in mine why they walk them in my yard. The one you're mad at. The one you'd like to kill their dog. No, their the one that's next door. 
The one across the street, the one who waits on you at the 7-Eleven store, the one who works with you every day, every day, every day. The harvest truly is plenteous. What are we going to do about the harvest? Are we going to wait till the winds of this old world begins to blow and until something comes along and snatches them out of this world and throws them into a devil's hell? Are we going to wait until the harvest is gone? Before we get concerned. I just thought I'd drop by and ask today. What are you and I going to do about the harvest? I see the comparison is made. There's no time for complacency if you please. Little kids are growing up. Television is getting worse. The internet is no longer fit for kids to watch. The devil is angry and anxious about snatching every lost sinner in the world into hell and laughing at them throughout all eternity. What are we going to do about the harvest? There's no time to make excuse. There's Tomorrow may be too late, and I, I say to you today, if the harvest is plenteous and it's dying day by day, we must be doing something concerning the harvest. A bus sits in our parking lot every week, air-conditioned on both ends, and no one cares about boys and girls dying and going to hell. You say, well, I do. I'm praying about it. Quit praying and get to doing. What we don't need is a bunch of observers. We don't need spectators. What we need is participants, bless your heart, who will get concerned about the harvest. Jesus said, say not ye that there remaineth four months. Don't say you'll do it. When you get all your crops laid by. Don't say you'll do it when you get your 401k in shape. Don't say you'll do it when something else. Just the harvest is white now. Do you understand that? We're getting old. We're dying every day. You say, not me. Stick around, slick. Yeah, you're getting, you're getting old. You know what comes after old? Gone. Used to be. Chance all gone. Your tractor's in the barn. Can you say amen? Dear God, I'd hate to walk up and I hope that our Lord Jesus, the first thing he says when we get to heaven, is your tractor clean? Is it still in the barn? God help us. Amen. Several things I noticed as I have looked at this scripture over and over again. These are great verses. But I, 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 I think several things spoke to my heart. And I'd just like to leave three of them with you. 
Number one, I think we as a church and we as disciples of Christ, we who have experience being born again. How many of you are saved? Now, I mean you're really saved. How many of you feel like it? Amen. I think there's three things we need to do about the harvest. Number one, we need to see what Jesus saw. Number two, we need to feel what Jesus felt. Better felt than telt. If you don't feel like you saved, more than likely you ain't. I like feeling saved. Do you? And number three, we need to do what Jesus did. Now, the difference in my outlines and everybody's outlines, everybody can understand them. Kid one time told me, he said, you're the simplest preacher I ever heard. I thought about that a while. I just about quit. Till I found out and figured out if I can understand it, he can. Don't you think maybe we need to lift our eyes above our situation, above our puny little needs, our puny little ideas? And don't you think Jesus knew what he's talking about when he said, lift up your eyes and look under the fields. Have you ever watched a huge wheat field when the wind is blowing? Huh? It just looked like the waves of the sea. Have you ever seen that? And it turns from green to brown to time to read. Can you imagine Jesus said, fellas, don't make excuse. Lift up your eyes and look under the fields, for they're white already under harvest. Don't you think we need to see what Jesus saw? Don't you think we need to look at our neighbor with the eyes of our Lord? And we'll not worry about what's in our yard, but where he's going to go when he dies. Don't you think we need to lift our eyes above the physical and maybe get a glimpse of the spiritual? Don't you think we need to lift our eyes above this month's obligation and see streets of gold and walls of jasper and gates of pearl and trees of life and the water of life? And don't you think we ought to ask our neighbor, would you like to come and go to heaven with me? Instead of telling them to go to you know where, won't you tell them, why don't you come and go with me? <laughs> Lift up your eyes. The Bible said, where there is no vision, the people perish. This story in John chapter number four is about a immoral woman. The woman that the well. Remember that? And this woman at the well came when no one else came 
because no one would like to have anything to do with her, I suppose. But you know what our Lord saw? Looking in John chapter number 4, I'm not going to tarry long. It's a quarter till. I don't know till what. The time has changed, and I don't know uh, what time it is, so I'm not too worried about it. But notice, if you would please, in John chapter number 4, we notice that our Lord saw beyond the moment. In John chapter 4 and verse number 4, the Bible says that Jesus told the disciples, I must needs go through, you know where? Samaria. Samaria. I must needs. The Jew was not custom to going through Samaria. Samaria was a, a city that had a mixed uh, race of people, if you please. I want to be kind, but they were Samaritans. They were Jewish and Assyrian folk that had conglomerated and married together. And now this city was full of Samaritans, if you please. And the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. They would not go through Samaria. They would go all the way around, keep from going through Samaria. Because if they came in contact with a Samaritan, the Jew was unclean and could not go to the temple to worship. But for some unknown reason, Jesus told these 12 disciples who were all Jewish, I must needs go through Samaria. Why? You see, our Lord is omniscient. That means he knows everything all the time. And he knew even where he was that down in Samaria at a certain time a certain woman was going to make her certain journey to a certain well. And if she didn't get saved she would die and go to a certain hell. He saw when you see people, what do you see? Their hairdo? Their clothes? Or a sinner in desperate need of a Savior? We need to see what Jesus saw. I think there's a song that goes like this. He looked beyond our sin and saw our need. Jesus could see her need. Oh, his name was Nicodemus and he was religious, but he came to Jesus by night. But Jesus already knew what he needed before he got there. And he said, Marvel not, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he shall not see the kingdom of heaven. We need to see what Jesus sees. We need to see little boys and girls cast into hell. We need to see mamas and daddies cast into hell. We need a burden. We need something that moves us beyond our fear 
and our comfort zone to where we might be able to share with somebody else the good news of Jesus Christ. We need to see what Jesus saw. He saw beyond the moment. He saw not only beyond the moment, bless your heart, but he saw beyond the problem. Verse 11 of John chapter 4, this lady has a problem. Her problem is she's a Samaritan and Jesus is a Jew. Her problem was Samaritans worshipped in the mountains and the Jews worshipped down at Jerusalem. Her problem was the nasty now and now. Couldn't get over her religion. Couldn't get over where they worship. And Jesus said the time is coming when you'll not worship either in Jerusalem or in the mountains. But God is spirit. And they that worship God must worship him in truth and in spirit. We need to see beyond our problem. See beyond her sinful life. Look at verse number 15 of John chapter 4. And please, watch this. And the woman said unto them, Sir, give me water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus said unto them, Go call thy husband and come hither. And the woman said, Say what? He hit her problem. The woman answered. Said I have no husband. Jesus said I bet you thought that surprised me. We're not going to surprise God. I'm glad that God loves us. Even in our sin. He said, now the one you've got is not yours. And you've had five. Could I help you folks that's had to suffer divorce? And everybody's made you feel like a wore out shoe and you're a second rate Christian. Would you like me to help you? He said, you've had five. And the one you got now is not yours. In other words, right now you don't have a husband. You're welcome. Read it. Thou hast had five. Don't, but you don't have one now. You're welcome. Anybody ever hit you with this? Well, you got a, how many wives you got living? Dear God, I don't hope, hope I don't have but one. <laughs> Thou hast had five. You don't have one now. And even one you're living with is not your own. You're welcome. If you want some more education? Come off the same time you'd like. But I'm getting tired of everybody telling everybody in the world they're second-rate Christian because they've had a bad experience in marriage. 
If you've ever been married, you've had a bad experience. <laughs> and a long-lasting one. Can you say amen? You're welcome. That wasn't in the sermon. Just thought I'd throw it in because you liked that. He looked beyond her sinful life and saw her need. He looked beyond her present problems and present hang-ups and saw her need. We need to see what Jesus saw. Elderly men was living alone, very lonely, and stayed in his apartment most of the time. A neighbor came by and said, and the man said, uh, I think I'm losing my ability to see. My eyes are getting weak because I cannot see the beauties of this world any longer. And his neighbor said, uh, what makes you think that? He said, well, I just don't see all the beautiful things God has created any longer. And so the neighbor looked around his apartment a minute and said, just a minute, sir, I'll be right back. And the man went and got a bucket of water and a brush and a couple of sponges, come back and washed the windows real clean. And he said, now come over here and take a look. And the old man walked over and looked out the window and said, wow, I can see again. think maybe the windows of our eyes become smudged with self and self-pity and selfishness in this stinking world. And everything about us is clouded up. And all we see now is the material and the physical. We never look at the spiritual. And the harvest lays in jeopardy of the storms of this old world and accidents and diseases coming by and sweeping in a moment and off into hell the harvest goes. While we're looking at what we want to do and where we want to go and our neighbors and our friends and our relatives are dying without Christ. Don't sit there in your pious Christianity and say, we'll do it later. Don't sit there and say, I'll do it when I get my degree. What are you, a thermometer? <laughs> Lift up your eyes, Jesus said. Drive by that bus this evening and tell God a good reason why you won't go get some kids. Well, I'm sending missions around the world. I give regularly. What about the little kids next door? Dr. Hiles had two medical doctors as bus captains on one bus. That's what you call a paradox.
I have missionaries on the mission field that's been there now in 50 years who rode my old church buses 50 years ago. Would you today answer the question, what are you going to do concerning the harvest? We must see what Jesus saw. We must feel what Jesus felt. Go back with me a few years ago when you were first saved. Can you do that? In your mind's eye, go back to the time that you lifted your head after you invited Christ into your heart and realized that all your sins were gone. That Christ is now your Savior. Heaven is your home. And you are saved, secure on your way to heaven. Did it occur to you at that time that you know somebody else who needs what you just got? Remember how it felt to be saved. My sins were gone. Gone, cast in the deepest part of the sea. Cast behind our Lord's back, never to be seen again. My sins were gone. Yes, as far as the east as the west, my sins were gone. I was clean. I was saved. Man, it felt good. You say, preacher, salvation is not a feeling. To me it is. I feel... Because of the fact. Now I don't have the fact because I have the feeling. I have the feeling because I have the fact. Jack. Amen. And it felt good. The Bible says when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. You know what my definition of compassion is? Love in action. Compassion is crawling into somebody else's body and feeling what they feel. Experiencing what they experience. And when Jesus saw the multitudes, he surrendered to be a bus captain. When he saw the multitudes... He began to support the mission program. When he saw the multitudes, he was what? How long has it been since you've been moved? (laughs) The Wills family used to sing a song. I'm going to sit right here and grieve the Holy Spirit. I shall not be moved. Hmm? We're just busy. Making sure our tractor's clean. Our plow is sharp. And our combine is ready to pull back in the barn till next service. Compassion. He felt compassion. He felt urgency. 
The time was crucial. The harvest was critical. Revelation 14 verse 15 says, For the time has come for thee to reap, because the harvest of the earth is ripe. Time to reap. Not time to clean the plow. The harvest moved the Lord, and it ought to move us. It moved him from heaven's ivory palaces to get on uh, eternity's staircase and walk down through the eons of time and get off in a little bitty manger in Bethlehem there in the form of a little bitty baby. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory, full of grace and truth. It moved Him. Oh, would to God that the harvest could move us again. Would to God that God's people could see the criticalness of the harvest. The harvest is plenteous. The harvest is a great peril. It could be lost any day. I had a funeral last week in Oklahoma. And this lady came to our church years and years and years and years ago. Her husband and I were friends for many, many years. She came to our church and got saved years and years and years ago. And I baptized her years and years and years ago. And she checked out this past week. I went home last night and I noticed a little yellow pad stuck to my telephone. A preacher, so-and-so wants you to preach a funeral, a charter member. Charter member. What guarantee you got you won't be on my list next week? Just what makes you think I couldn't be doing your funeral next week? What about, what about the harvest? I'm just asking you. Harvest is a great peril at being lost. I've buried bus kids, bus kids' parents, missionaries, preachers, charter members. The harvest, the Bible says, is white and waiting and waving in the air. Waiting for what? Verse 38, prayers. It says, pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest. How long has it been since you just had an old-fashioned one-on-one prayer meeting for somebody that's on their way to hell? Prayers. Pray ye therefore. Lord of the harvest would send forth labors. What's needed? Prayers and labors. Amen. I said amen. I'm just closing. What about the harvest? 
reason we have mission conferences because the harvest is plenteous. Men, women, boys and girls all over this world need the Lord. I close. I need, I'm not talking about Brother, Brother, Brother Sean now. I need to see what Jesus saw. I need to see people like Jesus sees people instead of like I see people. I need to see people from a spiritual point of view and not a physical point of view. Amen? Hmm? Huh? So we, we kind of selective who we want to go to heaven with us. We don't take anybody to learn it. Come on now. Give me a minute. If you don't, I'll take an hour. We need to see like Jesus saw. He looked beyond my fault and saw my need. I shall never forget when I heard this verse. But God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Sitting on my couch 50 years ago, 26-year-old man, four little rugrats running around the house. I knew that Christ died for the world. But somehow or another, I never did get it to where he died just for me. For me. Brother William said, Gene, if you had been the only sinner in the world, Christ would have died just for you. Boy, seemed like somebody just took a heart poker right into my heart. And I realized once and for all how much my Lord loved me. Amen. And I want you to know something today. It is not God's will that anybody should perish, but that all should come to repentance. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's why we send missionaries all around the world to tell everybody that Jesus loves them and wants to save them. We need to see what he saw. We need to feel what he felt. And we need to do what he did. Matthew 9 and verse 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching and preaching the gospel. That's what we're for. We're not here for humanity purposes. Our church is to meet a spiritual need, not a physical need. Our church is to preach the gospel to every creature. Here in Joshua, Johnson County, Texas, America, and around the world.
preach the gospel to every creature. You see, from where Jesus sits in the grandstand, he can see the entire harvest all at one time. Aren't you glad of that? And when Jesus saw the harvest, he saw good people and named him Nicodemus. But says, Nick, even though you're good and religious, you need to be born again. He saw bad people like the woman at the well and said, if you drink of the water that I have, you will never Never thirst again. He saw the little children of the world and nestled one in his lap and said, Of such is the kingdom of heaven. Except you become like a little child, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. He saw a sinful man up a sycamore tree and said, Zacchaeus, come down for the day salvation has come to your house. He saw the rich and said, Thou lackest one thing. Go sell all you have and come, and I will give you eternal life. He saw the poor. He saw the hurting, if you please, as he went down the road one day on the way to Jericho and saw a man stripped and robbed and beaten, half dead, laying in the gutter. And you remember Jesus poured in oil. And took him to the inn and said, take care of him. And when I come again, I'll pay you whatever I owe you. Oh, it don't make any difference. He loves us all. The Bible says, there's none righteous. No, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is what? Somebody tell me. Death. You know the rest of it? But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. His interest was the harvest and his priority was the spiritual and not the physical. Hey Lord, why did you come? Well, I came to seek and to save. You know the rest of it? That which is lost. Hmm? Well, preacher, I don't know what lost is all about. Well, in closing. See, when I close this up, that means I'm closing. Are you lost? Or are you saved? Here's the thing. I didn't ask you if you was a Baptist or a Catholic. I didn't ask you if you were a Pentecost or some other Obama. I mean a, a denomination. Are you saved or are you lost? The question is, are you part of the harvest or a harvester? Are you on your way to heaven or are you on your way to hell? That's the question. And when Jesus saw the harvest, those not saved 
Those wandering as sheep with no shepherd. Those who do not know where they are going when they die. When he saw those, he was moved with compassion. Well, preacher, I don't know if I'm lost, if I'm saved or not. Well, now, 50 years ago, in my living room, sitting on my couch with four little kids, a business, and all of that, the preacher asked me, if you died right now, Gene, do you know 100% sure you'd go to heaven? And I said, no. Do you know how to get to heaven? No, because I'm lost. Lost means you don't know which way it is back home. Don't mean you're worse than anybody else. It just means you need somebody to show you how to get back home. Too bad you ain't got a spiritual GPS. Oh, that's what I am. I'm a spiritual GPS to show you how to get back home. Well, I think if you live good enough, what, 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 what? You think? I've got an insurance policy I'd like to say, and I think it might pay. Or I've got a car I'd like to say, yeah, I think it might start. That, 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 that's, a for, that's a very poor foundation for eternity. Jesus said, These things have I written unto you that you may believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you might know you have eternal life. You can know that you're saved. You can become part of the harvesters and not part of the harvest. The harvest necessitates worldwide missions. The reason we have missions conferences is because the vastness, the plentiness, and the urgency of the harvest. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. But it'd be shame to send missionaries to Africa and let you die and go to hell. 